Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. Welcome, everyone. I am Aniko Zabik, Associate Director of the Europe and Eurasia team at Global Council. In today's episode, we will look at how energy policy at the EU and national level is expected to change following the June 2024 European Parliament elections. It was back in 2019, the last time the composition of the European Commission and the European Parliament changed. Geopolitical turmoil experienced in the past few years changed the agenda of the current leadership multiple times with a more pronounced shift expected now. The consequences of the war in Ukraine, the conflict in the Middle East, Uncertainty regarding the U.S. and Chinese economy are all headwinds for governments facing anxiety about economic growth by striving to reach climate and energy targets set internationally and within the EU. My two colleagues, Maud Beaumont from the Energy Practice and uh, Kasia Nowatska, an expert on the Central and uh, Eastern European region from my team, have joined me to analyze the implications for businesses of the paradigm change in the energy sector. Welcome, both of you. I would like to start with asking Maud about her expectations regarding the handover in both the European Parliament and the Commission concerning the objectives of the green transition. Can we draw lessons from this Commission's mandate for the energy policy going forward? Maud? Thank you. Definitely. I think if we take a step back, this Commission's mandate has indeed brought significant changes for EU energy policy that are likely to last. Energy policy is always a balancing act between the factors of what we call the energy trilemma, so keeping energy sustainable, affordable, and secure. While firstly, as you may know, this commission was the commission of the Green Deal, and this has marked a shift in focus from purely energy security, so the secure part of the trilemma, to decarbonization, the sustainable part of the trilemma. Halfway through this commission's mandate, however, we've seen that the war in Ukraine and also the energy crisis have marked another shift in focus from decarbonization to competitiveness and also re-examination of energy security. Governments have spent massive amounts of funding to protect um, consumers, uh, both households and businesses, and direct subsidies and energy price shielding schemes cost a lot of money. This has let, left some member states with, well, significantly emptier pockets. Secondly, what we can learn from this commission, being commented overall as the geopolitical commission, is that the EU will probably remain impacted by um, the US Inflation Reduction Act and the key existential questions that it brought up for the European Union. It has changed its, its thinking when it comes to what it called energy dependencies with uh, the endorsement of a Green Deal industrial plan. And it seeks and will remain concerned with addressing its dependencies on Russia, but also beyond Russia in the energy sector. We can expect competitiveness and this question of dependencies to remain the key angle when looking at EU energy policies in the next cycle. This was also confirmed when you read um, European political parties' leaked drafts of their manifestos. You see, for instance, in the Greens and the Party of European Socialists um, calls for a green social deal. This is to address 
um, what energy income policies are expected to cost for consumers. Meanwhile, the European People's Party, so the right wing side of the of the parliament, is calling for regulatory pause, and this is to be translated as in, please stop adding more and more regulations to our businesses, otherwise they will leave to the US or other markets. So the Commission has also sought to transmit this competitiveness angle itself. We've seen in early February a new communication with a 2040 climate target that suggested working on a green industrial decarbonization strategy. So you see that uh, this question of competitiveness, industrial policy is a key component of concerns in the energy sector. And finally, final lesson learned from this commission's uh, mandates, it may have well set a precedent for EU energy policy forever, <laughs> with particularly interventionist measures agreed. We've seen a gas price cap, joint purchasing mechanisms, uh, windfall taxes on low carbon energy generation. Um, so particularly interventionist measures indeed. Um, and this could mean that the EU level would be increasingly active in the energy sector going forward. Hmm. Thank you, Maud. What I hear is that energy has been an important talking topic for the ongoing uh, commission. Uh, and at some point, going forth from decarbonization goals, it started to listen and incorporate the competitiveness angle as well with the next commission prioritizing it even more under pressure from the incoming European Parliament. Good. Um, interesting. Um, we have the... EU level goal setting then, that is defining the common ambitions, but uh, national level implementation is the key since energy policy is still uh, a national level competence. Obviously, it's not only market forces and these uh, target setting, but the developments in uh, national politics is what influences the update of local energy strategies. And uh, none of these um, action plans are going to be the same due to historical background, traditions, the, the local prediction uh, capabilities and the financial capacities of a particular country. You refer to emptier pockets. But these national politics are going to also influence uh, EU level decision making. On the one hand, of course, we are talking about the European Council, uh, which is setting the agenda for the EU and choosing the Commission president. And the political balance in the European Council is shaped by the the government, um, heads of government and states sitting there. We can mention here that the government building is still ongoing in the Netherlands and we are expecting parliamentary elections in 2024 in Portugal, Belgium, Croatia, Lithuania and in 2025 um, upcoming ones in Germany and Romania. On the other hand, European parliamentary elections, the one coming up in June, is often seen as a midterm judgment on national government performance and polling suggests that populist Eurosceptic right-wing parties may make gains with the weakening of the Greens and the Liberals' influence in the European Parliament. If we look at the specific energy and climate-related uh, politics of these parties, for example, in France, the far-right national rally is uh, historically anti-wind energy. They already influence uh, local-level permission procedures, but we can also see if they do reach around 30% of the vote in, in France at the EP elections, then they are going to be sending more uh, parliamentarians to the EP and they are going to be influencing the co-decision-making processes there. I also refer to Germany 
uh, where we are expecting elections. It is currently led by a coalition that has won its lead based on ambitious climate targets. But its agenda has been already revised and uh, a prospective new government um, is going to need to find new answers to the country's reliance on local production of lignite. Um, and of course, the questions around state aid propping up, for example, its national wind turbine manufacturer. In some of the CE countries, we also see that EU targets and deadlines remained unmet. And I would like to ask you, Kasha, now, are the energy strategies in CE countries ambitious enough to achieve all these goals set at the European level? Well, you are definitely right here, Aniko, that not all the countries met the deadlines to submit the energy strategies. So far, only 24 of the 27 member states have submitted the first draft of the revised national energy and climate plans. So we still don't have a full picture here. But it seems that some of the Central and Eastern European member states struggle to meet the expectations. And with far-reaching consequences of the war in Ukraine, some of the CE countries decided to come back to their all commitments, supporting gas and coal consumption. And they decided to display low ambitions with the energy strategies. And a good example here is Hungary. Hungary responded to the 2022 energy crisis by increasing domestic production of fossil fuels and delaying the phase out of coal power. Uh, we also have Slovakia here. We see a notable absence of essential reforms to decarbonize its heating systems. And most of the CE countries had only submitted vague plans to decarbonize the economy or didn't submit them at all. And this is a case of Poland. And although the new Polish government is committed to pursuing an ambitious energy strategy and the new Polish Minister of Climate and Environment announced a revision of the strategic document called Energy Policy of Poland until 2040, which was uh, first delivered by the previous PIS government in 2021, we still don't know the publication date of the new strategy and all predictions regarding its con its, its content are uh, based only on the statements that were made before government formation. And on the top of that, Poland is entering now a new electoral cycle, which is definitely distracting the central government. And all that means that more delays in the updating Poland's energy strategy can be expected. However, one thing is definitely center certain, and this is that CE countries would need additional support in implementing the EU energy targets. And both the economic growth and the cost of living crisis should be definitely considered here. Uh, politicians have a lot of their plate and we need, of course, political will to prioritize green transition goals. I, I can see that, uh, as Maud has said before, uh, from energy security, energy supply being the main consideration, moving on to decarbonization. The first reaction of some of the countries, Kasha, you mentioned, was to get back to energy security of, of, of how to deal with immediate crisis. And, and, and they need a bit of push, incentive supports to, to, to focus once again on the targets uh, set forth to them. So more taking into consideration all that has been highlighted by us regarding national level ambitions, what would you stay, say? Is the EU still on track to meet its green transition goals, achieving the Green Deal? Uh, what are the main challenges? What can we expect? 
that is definitely the key existential question here. If we look at numbers quickly, in 2022, the European Commission had estimated that the EU's greenhouse gas emissions decreased by around 3%, which overall was reaching a reduction of 32.5% compared to 1990 levels. This is on track of its 2020 targets, whether it's on track of achieving the fight against climate change is another question. This was supported by a 39% share of renewables in the EU's energy mix. From there, new ones, new targets were set for this decade already. So under the Fit for 55 package, um, the EU has agreed under um, this package to the following 42.5% renewables in the energy mix, 55% of emissions reduction and 32.5% of energy savings. A lot of numbers, but especially a lot of ambition. This means that in the next policy cycle, the EU will be expected to reach those targets, make sure that investments are there. But actually, it it will already be expected to work on the next one, so on 2040 targets. Why am I mentioning this? Um, Well, this is because all of this leap in ambition is great for climate policy, but it also means that there is a very fast-changing policy uh, environment for businesses, for households, and for governments. This could lead to a significant amount of legislation either proposed or uh, being revised in the next policy cycle again. And this means that it will be particularly challenging for policymakers to seek their electorate support. I would say that in the next policy cycle, the key Challenges for policymakers will be, well, first to define their strategy, their energy technology choices, industrial policy choices, and the secure the level of investment needed. Then ensure a fair transition. Um, we've seen that the farmers strike or uh, energy intensives and fossil industry calls for a regulatory break shows that certain sectors will be particularly vulnerable despite being strategic for the EU. Um, and then find consensus on each of the member states' contributions and effort sharing. We've seen that, as Keisha mentioned, it will be particularly hard for Central and Eastern European uh, countries being most exposed to uh, dependencies on fossil fuels and so on. You are calling for more solidarity there. That's uh, that's always dangerous. But what I really got out of this is actually that it's quite an agenda setting and the amount of legislation, as you said, being proposed or revised uh, in the next policy cycle is something to watch and, uh, and obviously to try to better understand what's coming up and uh, what can we expect. So after hearing this, let's have a look at how these Green Deal ambitions will appear at national level. Kasha, I would like to bring you back here. So you mentioned that the new government in Warsaw is committed to pursuing a more ambitious energy target than its predecessor. But what are the chances to follow through? What are the chances for Poland to decarbonize by 2050? Well, I think it's a really difficult question, especially in the case of Poland, because Poland remains, of course, the largest producer of coal in the EU. And this makes the coal phase out a key challenge for Warsaw. 
And Poland's largely coal-based economy requires change not only because of the climate targets adopted globally and in the EU, but also to ensure Poland's competitiveness and political influence within Europe. And unfortunately, we still don't have in Poland a coherent national vision for transformation. And in the past, energy policies in Poland fell, fell victim to instrumentalization for immediate political objectives, such as the previous government's tendency uh, to blame high, high energy prices on the EU and its energy and climate policies, then blaming the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And although Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the main driver of recent price hikes, a major part is also played by a, by a decades-long failure of governments such as Poland's to pursue a clear decarbonization strategy, which would reduce reliance on fossil fuels. But of course, despite this gloomy picture, Poland also has made some progress and has significantly expanded its installed renewable energy capacity, particularly in solar. Poland hosts, has also potential in terms of developing renewable energy, such as wind power in the Baltic Sea. And the share of energy from renewables in Warsaw has risen from 6.9% in 2004 and to 26% in 2023. And that being said, Poland definitely has a good potential to decarbonize its economy by 2050. And if its leaders make the energy transition a strategic goal. So all depends on on their leaders right now. Yes, political will. But of course, they are gone through a government change recently in December. So all the agenda setting is ongoing, as you mentioned. But I want to be fair with Poland. It's, it's not the only country where rapid implementation of policies and measures are needed to achieve the Green Deal targets. Let's, let's go back to France. France is currently refreshing its targets to make sufficient process, progress towards uh, carbon neutrality. And it has, well, they need money. The investment needs are, are huge to achieve this. There is a draft energy and climate roadmap to uh, to to have move away from fossil fuels in the country. It should be adopted in the first half of 2024. We know that in France, the rollout of renewables is lagging behind its peers. And, and of course, when it comes to France, it's a leading nuclear nation. It's leading a European alliance to lobby EU institutions to include nuclear energy as a low carbon alternative in the union's renewable energy plans. Um, on the other side, there is Germany. Germany has realized quite recently that it, if it is to roll out as much renewable energy capacity as it, as it has done and then it's planning to, then they definitely need more storage. And, and we can also mention Portugal and Spain, who are still catching up and need continuous investment to link um, the Iberian Peninsula up with the European electricity grid. So there is a lot to do in the other countries as well. But decarbonization, switching from fossil fuels to renewables, there is definitely a consensus there to combine energy security and climate neutrality, climate neutrality goals through this. Renewables became cheaper due to the fact that other energy sources became more expensive. So uh, I would like to ask you, Maud, is it a trend regarding renewables that we expect to last? What are the remaining challenges uh, for renewables in Europe and, uh, and, and going forward? What do you expect? Well, definitely a space to watch. So renewables have indeed caught the attention of a number of businesses and investors recently. And this is because they have a key advantage compared to fossil fuels, which we realized, especially during the crisis, 
since they require lower marginal costs, they can be cheaper and potentially more profitable investments. In particular, as I said, during the crisis, this was true. In a context of rising natural gas prices, this has meant rising renewable energy prices and therefore with lower costs, more profits. What is crucial to understand, though, is that um, EU energy prices are set by the marginal price of the most expensive energy source providing power. What I mean is everything is dependent uh, on the energy market, as, at least for now. This means that renewable prices will be defend- dependent on fossil fuel prices going forward and that where whether re- renewables remain profitable, investment will be conditioned by this. This will also be conditioned by potential further policy incentives uh, with the Commission lowering to new policies, putting a price on carbon or reshaping the design of the energy market to support renewables. We heard rumors and keep hearing rumors about new market reform in the the EU and so on. It is also important to stress that we talk about renewables as a harmonized category, but it is not. Energy sources and renewable energy sources are facing different market situations. For solar, for example, there are key supply chain challenges related to most uh, manufacturing capacities being in China or Chinese-owned rather than European. Meanwhile, wind energy can manufacture them in the EU and we still have manufacturing capacities in the EU, but they're facing investment challenges with stalling levels of new projects, rising global manufacturing competition. And for both, the major challenge is actually also integration into the grid, which will require to maintain, expand and flexibilize the existing grid, create new grid capacities and compensate overall for renewables intermittency. What I hear here is basically that, yes, we want more renewables, but but we need those businesses who are going to implement these targets, these measures, and they need support. So basically, there is an agreement that energy transition is, is necessary, that is set already among the member states, um, but they need to adopt the different measures to, to, to make it happen. And once uh, national ambitions are set... Uh, strategies created, businesses will start to consider investment decisions, right? Uh, But these are long-term investment decisions and expensive ones. So they will need the state to step in with public investment in energy infrastructure creation, for example, and as you said, uh, updating the energy grid. We hear examples from some countries, for example, Poland, uh, because we are using Poland uh, as one of these examples that uh, the energy grid needs to be able to differentiate between green energy sources for those consumers who would like to ensure a low carbon footprint. And if the energy grid is not modernized, then we are nowhere. We hear it from, uh, for example, offshore wind producers that they need a sufficient number of lead points to get energy onshore and to to reach uh, consumers. And of course, this type of investments is also state funded. It's uh, it's not going to not going to be the private sector uh, going forward. Other state invest- incentives may be legal. I've heard how. The Netherlands having a single permit uh, system for offshore wind, for example, a good example that is attracting businesses. Basically, all the other countries are considering this, but it's it's uh, very difficult to to get through these strategic decisions, especially with local authorities, regional authorities, and uh, and political powers there demanding their say 
with uh, with local populations, considering how they would like to influence uh, their own living environment. And uh, you also mentioned financial incentives, guaranteed prices, or or the industry support mechanism that would subsidize emission cutting or localizing supply chains. All of this needs to be prioritized to achieve these goals. And uh, and I think it would be good to bring in again a local, a national example, Kasha, from the CE region. So so can you give me some examples of incentives which serve as, uh, as a catalyst for energy transition from the CE region, please? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I agree fully with Mod that renewables profitability uh, depends on policy incentives. But I will also bring here that it depends on the competent management of EU funds. And we have countries, see countries such as Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. They all have a great wind generation potential. Then we have Hungary and Romania. They have great prospects in solar energy. And yes, they are definitely countries where the need for energy transition is well recognized. But the problem is that because of the energy crisis and increase in inflation, all that increased the tendency to adopt some short term measures that continue support fossil fuels measures that um, prolong and increase uh, the reliance on gas, gas and coal. And this is why EU funding for green projects plays a key role here. And I think that without instruments such as Cohesion Fund and the Recovery and Resilient Facility, uh, countries such as Czechia would not be able to introduce the new green savings scheme to renovate the building stock. Uh, Poland's My Electricity program for financing photovoltaic installations wouldn't be one of the largest in Europe. And Slovakia would have to reduce funds that support the development of prosumers and energy communities there and and so on. And additionally, we have this um, EU's just transition mechanism, which is to mobilize at least 150 billion euros over 2021-2027 in the most affected regions. And the CE region is the one which is set to receive a significant share of these funds. Uh, so now the biggest challenge for both uh, energy players and for policymakers is to set the appropriate pace, find their role in the transition and then deliver sustained outcomes. Well, the, uh, again, agenda is set for them. Thank you so much. Uh, Maud, please uh, give us a short summary. What policy debates should businesses be aware of at the EU level? Well, beyond what we already touched upon, this political cycle has left the EU with existential questions to address. Um, they will be dividing its member states still, and they are likely to feature as um, dividing lines between political parties ahead of the elections. One is around financing. We keep saying investments are needed, um, but more precisely around the need for investments. Um, where do we see the role of uh, state aid? What risks come with state aid? And should state aid compensate for the lack of private investment? A second question is around industrial policy, whether the EU should aim at manufacturing its own um, technologies and achieve the Green Deal in, that, in this way, or rather diversify its suppliers or simply continue building on others to address its um, technology of demand and at the risk of being dependent on one or the other country. And a third challenge and key dividing question in light of these two points is which technologies are best suited to help Europe decarbonize its energy mix? We've seen that 
countries have made different choices and a number of technologies remain divisive. I'm thinking about nuclear, I'm thinking about CCUS, hydrogen, bioenergy. And um, the thing is, in energy, as in climate, time is of the essence. Um, The emergency of addressing climate change and securing energy supplies is quite conflicting with the time needed for projects, investments and investors to, to align. That's again a lot to watch out for, but I will just uh, say that time is of the essence and we are running out of time for this episode. So what I can promise is definitely GC is going to continue to follow national level political and policy developments uh, that influence the energy sector and uh, how to navigate the consequences of new decisions regarding energy security, energy mix, investments in energy production, transport, storage. We, we mentioned so many things that we need to keep an eye on. And uh, at the EU level mode, uh, your team is going to monitor uh, ongoing legislative initiatives and uh, implementation of the already adapted ones, I'm sure. Party manifestos are going to be finalized for the European parliamentary elections. You already mentioned uh, the, the, the leaked information and uh, and after the EP elections in June, there is going to be a high-level summit to focus on strategic agenda setting for the next five years, which is also going to inform us already uh, about the energy's position in the next policy cycle. Is it going to be as much in the focus and in, in what way um, in the coming years? Well, thank you so much, as always. If your business and your investment, you are interested to have a deep dive into the energy sector ambitions at EU and national level, don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, you can find contact details for more than Kasha and our sector teams at the GC website or via the link in the podcast notes. And let me call your attention also to the fact that we also publish an EU Insights monthly newsletter focusing on the EP election and its implications on several sectors, such as energy, tech and financial services. So do get in touch if you would like to sign up. Thank you, Maud. Thank you, Kasha. And thanks for you to listening.